This is Paul Nobles from Eat to Perform, and I'm really excited about this topic because this is a topic that actually comes up quite a bit in Eat to Perform because, you know, let's face it, many people who are in the diet routine, right, over the course of years, um, tend to be a little bit older and tend to start to struggle as they get older on how to deal with it. And so, um, we, we always get a lot of requests about um, menopause and, and working through menopause and things of this nature. And so I talked to Susan a little bit about it early on, and uh, she sort of deferred. And then we kind of reconnected on the topic. And I said, what if we did this? What if we just talked about your experiences, right? And so Susan then... Um, I helped a little bit, but I feel like I didn't because like most of what I, I contributed just as kind of like sparks or ideas, she took it and ran with it and turned out great. Right. So we have an article on, on menopause. Um, I will share that in the, in the notes of, of this podcast. And this will probably end up being shared on Facebook and blogs and things of this nature. So you'll see it multiple ways where you won't just be listening to just the podcast. So um, the first thing that we talked about in the article, um, Susan, you spoke about metabolic rate slowing, right? And some adjustments that you had to, had to make. So why don't we, we run through that and then we'll run through all five points. Okay. So, you know, as we age from the time we stop growing, which is actually, you know, bone growth stops somewhere in your mid to little bit later 20s, metabolic rate every decade does drop a little bit, but it is mostly linked to loss of lean body mass or loss of muscle in people who are losing muscle. And so, um, you know, some people experience a noticeable huge loss in, in metabolic rate over years, and some people it's very small. Obviously, the more active you are, the more muscle mass you maintain, uh, the better off you are. But even then, there is still some small 10% loss of, of your resting metabolic rate. Um, over each decade. So here I am in my, I don't know, I guess we call this my sixth decade. I don't, <laughs> from zero to 10 is, is that one? So maybe I'm in my seventh decade. I don't know. But, but the, you know, the thing is that women hit menopause, some in their 40s, most around late 40s to, to their 50s. And, and so that is another hit. And it's another hit because we have a system that kind of goes mostly offline and doesn't require much energy anymore, our reproductive system. And so we notice that even if we change nothing, if everything stays exactly the same in our diet and our act physical activity, that there just seems, there's a little more spread. Um, there's uh, you know, it just seems like we put on a little bit of weight. It's not massive. It just happens over time. And, and so I certainly experienced that myself. 
And I am not an athlete like the athletes that I work with. <laughs> you know, I, I'm sitting at a computer writing their diets while they're out training for eight hours a day. So, but I am fairly physically active. Um, what I found for myself is that I coincidentally, and it was not on purpose, I coincidentally changed my training just as I was sort of entering true menopause. And what happened was I've never been a runner. I have lifted weights, I have cycled, I've danced, I've done all kinds of other exercise, but I was never a true runner. And um, on kind of a challenge from my two daughters, I started to train for a half marathon. And I know that that training ramping up my exercise and adding in brand new exercise so I had no muscle memory on, on all of this definitely made a difference. And as I talk to clients of mine who are in, at the master's level, many who are just recreational and not, not you know, elite athletes, um, and friend, girlfriends of my own, we all can report that having ramped up our exercise at that time in our lives made a big difference um, in both how we felt, our sleep, our uh, sort of, um, and, and, and how we looked. You know, you, you just noticed those, the changes. That it didn't completely change everything, um, but what the research has shown over time is that it, you, what we know is that as your estrogen levels drop, a whole lot of things start to change in your body, including it's harder to hang on to your muscle mass and your bone mass. And so the more physically active we remain, the more you kind of maintain what you've got and keep the hormones that you, the, we're not completely at a loss for estrogen, there is still some there, we, we put it to work for us as well as we can. And so that combination, but I do have to, you know, I do have to be a little more cognizant of what I'm eating, but I'm not overly, I've never been a restrictive dieter. Um, and so I'm not, I'm not restricting per se, I'm just a little more mindful of what's going in my mouth. And I certainly, have increased my exercise. I'm no longer doing half marathon running, but um, what I wrote about in there is that I added in uh, more movement at another time during the day. So the movement that you're talking about is what's referred to as LIST, which is low intensity steady state um, workouts, which is walking, right? It's right. jogging. You know, we talked right. about this on, on the last one. And, you know, because I think a lot of people listen to that and they, they hear about you and, and I know you and I are similar in this way that, that we like challenges and we like, like things. And, and, you know, a lot of people, when they hear, you know, half marathon, you know, the, the thought of a 5k, you know, is, is maybe extreme. So don't let that become the thing that you latch onto, um, really think of it from the standpoint of the things that you can add that are, are going to help. You did touch on um, number two, which is the fact that you've lifted weights for four decades. 
And you touched on um, bone density a little bit, but I wanted to go a little bit deeper on bone density and kind of kind of bring this point out because it might not come up. When your muscles and tendons are being asked to do any type of resistance training, and, and I would challenge each of you to view resistance training as something more than just barbell work or dumbbell work because you know, literally as you go through the day, the resistance from your body is actually resistance work. So push-ups, pull-ups, air squats, you know, all these things are also resistance training, right? So when your muscles are being asked to grow build bigger and tendons, or that's going to put a strain on your bones that are going to make them stronger. So I don't hear that when in the insurer commercials. I don't hear that, you know, in the calcium supplement commercials, right? And so if you take these things, and you should take those things, right? But if you take these things, and you don't do the thing that like, in terms of dairy consumption, the United States has one of the highest rates of, uh, of osteoporosis. Um, yet, we do consume a lot of calcium, right? So it really is more about the, the, the stimuli to use it, right? Um, did I say anything wrong there? Well, it's a combination. And one of the problems in the U.S. with women is that women who are dieting um, cut milk out. Yeah. And it's very common. It's an easy couple of hundred calories to just whack off the top of your diet. And it happens quite young, usually um, somewhere in the teens uh, and early 20s. And so milk consumption does drop in, in women. We're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves, but, but I know that I, I, I opened the door there. Uh, <laughs> but, but, you know, number two is lift weights. Right. right. And, and so really important. It really, you know, I don't think a lot needs to be said there. Um, I will say this. Um, there's still a lot of people that are um, nervous about going into the weight area. Um, you know, just find a, a comfortable spot. Right. Even if it's, you know, the one thing that 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 I talk about a lot is that, you know, everybody's into high intensity, right? I was like, so take that high intensity video that you're watching and do it slow, right? <laughs> You'll be doing more for your bone health and, and, and building muscle than you will with, it's, it's this idea of I need to burn all my calories, right? Oh, so and it doesn't have to be um, actual weights. And so what we're looking for is, what we call progressive resistance training. So you can use those resistance bands. You can be in your home and you can use body weight and you can be doing push-ups or you can lean against the wall if you don't wanna be on the ground, if it's too hard to get up. You can be on your knees, you can, but, but using bands instead of weights to begin. Is, is a very good way to start. It's all about progressing to a more, a little more challenge. It doesn't, you're, 
no, and believe me, none of us are going to turn into Arnold Schwarzenegger. We are all going to just pretty much stay the size that we're at. You will get more fit. You may get more toned. That's all good stuff. And you will be helping your bones maintain where they are. Because if you don't do this, you will lose bone mass. You will be at greater risk of, of fracture. And, and, it, and, and it is loss of the ability to do the activities of daily living that ultimately help, causes us to lose our independence as we age. So the, I always think one of the biggest assets of this podcast is that you have a motherly voice about it right? So you're, you're, you're talking about it from a place of concern. And I always think that that's a, that's a nice place to come from. Um, okay, number three is really interesting because Susan already talked about metabolic rate. Is there a bigger thing related to metabolic rate? I mean, I suppose, obviously, muscle, right? And then you're, you're just daily. But People discount digestion so much in terms of metabolic rate. And when you are constantly under eating, your digestion is compromised, right? And so, you know, the tendency, of course, like you, you said, um, is that with menopause and all these things kind of factoring down, the natural tendency is to eat less. But Am I wrong in stating that, that, you know, you can literally change your metabolic rate just from the standpoint of, of digestion, right? And I would say that that's a strong argument for periods where you're eating normal. I think a lot of people would say, well, what's normal? I think to Susan and I, we would say eat more, right? Because, because normal when you're already feeling like your body's systems are kind of downgrading, you know, you want to, you want to give that extra added energy so that your energy output is better. Yeah. So, I mean, when I said, I, I, I noticed that I'm not burning quite the same number of calories, probably it's a little lower. My metabolic rate is a little lower than it was when I was 50 or 40 or 30. I didn't say I need to eat less. I said, I need to eat more mindfully. And and, and that means that uh, I need to pay attention when stuff is going in my mouth, <laughs> number one. And while I'm cooking, I can't also be eating um, without knowing that I'm putting things in my mouth. Um, so the wasted sort of calories, the things that you know, add up to a couple hundred calories a day that you don't even notice that you're eating, those become more critical as we get older. When you're younger, they're irrelevant. You need those. You're burning those up and more. As we start to age, um, the, the eating with, without any mindfulness is, is what can get you. But so, it's so also I, the need, I need to interrupt because we're, we're kind of going in a different path than I think that even the article intended. Um, you misunderstood what I was saying. Um, I wasn't saying you. I was saying that the good majority of people become more restrictive at that point. Right. Right. And I know that 
obviously for you and I, we believe in the concept of more, we believe in the concept of better nutrients and things of this nature. So that's where I think you were, you were sort of going there. Um, what, what, where I was kind of going with it though, is, is when you have too tight of a death grip on your lowest weight possible, right? Which may not even make sense, right? Because, you know, when you look at, you know, what is muscle? What is food, right? Food is the raw materials that you consume that hopefully turn into lean mass, right? And so, you know, there's digestion involved. There's all these different things that are involved. And when you take those things away, you're essentially compromising metabolic rate, right? right? Okay. So, so yeah. So, so the, the thing is, is that you, you get an, an extra energy burn when you eat, right? That's what we call it. You get a 10% bonus, we call of the thermic effect of food. Yes. And so you bump up your, your energy utilization when you eat. And so not eating, um, doesn't doesn't necessarily help um and and it can hurt and the less you eat the slower your metabolic rate because your body is going to conserve what it has and as we age most importantly you want your systems to be fully fueled and turned on at at a 10, at 11, you know, you don't want things running at a two or a three because we are much more prone to poor healing, infection, you know, other, other disorders and disorders where our immune system, if it was running full tilt, would take care of perhaps early cancer or early um, autoimmune issues or something like that. When, where if we're completely underfueled, we're not burning the calories that we could be burning. We're not eating enough to keep our calories need high. We also are at risk of developing other diseases. Now, there, there is a whole other school of thought about slightly underfueling your body and, and longevity, but that's another conversation yeah. for for, for the management, the general management of health, it is eating regularly. It's eating a plant-rich diet that's high in fiber and all the phytonutrients. That's hard stuff. Our body works hard to digest that, and we get that extra burn. It's having plenty of protein because protein takes more calories to utilize. And so, so it's, it's having, as I said, eating mindfully is, is what's important. So speaking to that and piggybacking off of what you just said. So number four was about removing foods. And you mentioned earlier about removing dairy, right? And I know you're, you're passionate about that. But you're really passionate about this other thing, right? And I, this is one of the most controversial things that you talk about. And it's the weirdest controversy ever because when you're talking about whole grains, right? It just feels like at five years old, you know, the stuff that your mom would have wanted you to eat has somehow become demonized, right? And so talk a little bit about that because, you know, when, you know, you mentioned in the article that removing foods like dairy, 
or removing foods like grain is not about those things being bad or good, right? It's about the calories that they hold, right? So if you take dairy out, you just whacked out 250 calories. If you take grains out, now you taking out 250 calories. That's going to lower your metabolic rate. It's going to lower your ability to turn um, your protein into muscles, it, it, your fuel, your workouts, all these different things. And so there's been this movement towards less that frankly isn't helping. People aren't that much better off because it and in general they're paralyzed explain to them why they shouldn't be paralyzed especially through menopause well and so so this whole concept of of everybody you know the grains are are bad for your digestion and grains are bad for this and grains are bad for that yet there are those people who have celiac disease and are and and can't tolerate gluten and there are people who are gluten sensitive um, that's okay. They can still eat grains that don't have gluten in them. The things that are in grains, we can't get anywhere else to, to the potential that we can get them from grains. It is, it is not just the vitamins and minerals, but it's the specific kinds of fibers. It's the phytochemicals. They are anti-inflammatory foods, and it's the inflammatory processes that are getting people in trouble um, both in their gut and it goes to their brain and it goes to your whole body. And the idea that it's the grains causing the inflammation is backwards. It is the ultra processed foods where people are eating ultra processed grains or, you know, white flour, high sugar starches and, and sugars. Those are inflammatory. And so, so many people have said, well, I'm going gluten-free, and they have cut out all of the high-sugar, highly processed, ultra-processed foods out of their diet, and they feel much better. And they attribute that to eliminating grains. It's not the grains. It's the ultra-processed foods, because those foods don't have what whole grains have in them either. So, so we desperately need the nutrients that we get. If you can have dairy and you have no problems with dairy, you should be consuming dairy. The combination of what is in milk when it comes to bone health is unparalleled. And, and, and it also makes you feel good. And it's also good for, for your refueling your body after exercise and recovery. So, so the, the, the dairy and the grains are critically important but again, being mindful, understanding <clears throat> if you are lactose intolerant, use a lactate replacement enzyme. If that doesn't work for you, then it may be hard for you to consume that. If you have a pro milk protein issue, look for some of these A2 milks that may help you. Um, if it doesn't and you can't consume milk, well, then you get on with it. But don't just take it as gospel that it's bad for everybody. And the same as I talked about with your selection of grains. So if you look on my Facebook page or my Instagram from yesterday, you'll see that I posted my fresh baked 
whole grain bread that I made yesterday. And I use fresh flour so that it is a fresh ingredient. It's not a commodity that could sit on a shelf for a year without a problem. We can find those and I can post that map, but it's critically important to include all of these foods in your diet so that it is the variety of foods. It's why the New York Times posted the Mediterranean diet as still the best diet out there. It's the kind of thing that, that Paul recommends from Eat to Perform. It's the wide variety of foods that is the foundation of a healthy diet, not a highly restrictive diet that eliminates foods. So there was one thing that you said that I want to just piggyback on because it was, it was, you said it well. Uh, I just think that there's one other thing that we could add on to it. So in terms of whole grains, they fill you up, right? And so the tendency to overconsume whole grain foods does not exist. When she talks about overly processed foods and things of that nature, not only are those easy to consume or overconsume? When we talk about inflammation, there's kind of two things, right? There's there's inflammation and then there's chronic inflammation. And we could literally do six podcasts right. just on that, right? But when we're talking about inflammation and the problems that cause and turn that into chronic inflammation, it really comes down to overconsumption over time and easily consumable foods, right? Mm -hmm to say that whole grains is easily good luck, right? Good luck just pounding that pharaoh, right? right? It's, just, <laughs> it's just not happening, right? So kind of keep that in mind that um, this is the problem, right? So one of the things I saw is that the first rule of a cult is just to tell everybody that, or convince everybody that other people are lying, right? And I thought, wow, that is so, so indicative of what this guru idea is, right? Is that the guru just comes out and says, everybody's lying to you. Big Pharma hates you, right? And all this other type of stuff. And people are like, yeah, yeah, you know, go you guy, right? And then all of a sudden you're drinking salt water for seven days straight. You know, I, you just have to apply some logic. And I understand, you know, we talk a lot about the pain and things of this nature, um, and logically, it does seem like if you can, you know, have an acute, you know, approach that it'll get you where you want to go faster. And I would argue that it actually gets you there slower because it never get really gets you there. And then you come back with interest, um, especially in the case of menopause. So the last one technically should be the first one. But the reason why she had it as as number five is because if you take the first four and you do all of those right, then number five's a lot easier. And did you experience, so number five is sleep, right? And getting regular sleep. As you went into menopause, was sleep better? Did you experience any sleep negativity? And then, you know, as someone that travels, do you struggle? Do you use any kind of sleep aids, anything like that? So it's highly individualized and there is no, um, unfortunately, I wish there was a magic formula. I am somewhat fortunate in that my sleep has not been horribly disrupted, but it is slightly. And so 
night sweats wake you up and I, you know, some people have them much worse than others do. Um, like I said, I'm pretty convinced that ramping up my exercise and yeah, it was low intensity sustained exercise. I was not, I am not a championship runner folks. I, it took me as long to run a half marathon as it takes um, real athletes to run a full marathon, right? So I, I would have gotten lapped by, by, you know, somebody who was a real elite athlete. So, um, but I think that that helped. And that helped for me and my body minimize some of the early effects. But I've also learned I can no longer drink alcohol. It's going to really, for many people, alcohol disrupts their sleep anyway. For me, I was never that much of a drinker, but if I have alcohol, I'm just gonna feel like crap. I can't seem to metabolize it very well anymore, and I'm definitely not going to sleep well. And so now, particularly when I travel, I don't drink at all. And that's going to conferences and that's being in it with mostly people well over a decade younger than me out in the evening. And it's just not happening because I need to be able to be fresh and sharp in the morning. And so I'm not going to feel that way or perform well if I drink alcohol. So that's a big one. And many women experience a change with their metabolism of alcohol um, through menopause. Um, so, but, but, I think supporting your body as well as you can at least eliminates that factor as one of the things that could be the problem. So years ago, I wrote a book called The Good Mood Diet. And I didn't write it to be any kind of a, of a program for psychologists to use in their office. But it happened that, that psychiatrists started to call me, especially um, um, people who treat adolescents and said, I have made this mandatory part of my practice because now I can tell if I'm treating an actual disease or I'm treating a poorly fed brain. And so, um, so eliminating the factor of poorly eating and understanding what's left to do I think makes a huge difference. And so feeding yourself well, I find when I'm on point with taking care of myself, my rest is better. Well, and the other thing too, and, and I know that this is, you know, this is actually coming up um, big time with a lot of our male clients, right? But um, certainly I would think it would be similar for, for women um, that are trying to hold on to muscle that, you know, alcohol is going to suppress testosterone, whatever testosterone you have left, you want to keep it. Right. right. And so, so that's going to be a negative and could have negative impact. And that could be one of the factors. Um, I do use, um, ZMA, um, mm -hmm. as a sleep aid. Um, what I like about it, you know, the one that I do use, I have to say I've used I've used a few. Um, the one that I do use does have a little bit of mel melatonin and does have a little bit of GABA, which I don't love, right? I would like it if I could just get, you know, just the regular ZMA. So I did that <laughs> and it wasn't as good, 
right? And so, so even though I have my own bias and I would like to not have the other, I know that my body actually works a little bit better with the one that has the extra stuff. So I use the extra stuff, right? When, um, I, when I travel overseas, typically I will use a little bit of melatonin. Yeah. Um, but that's, you know, that I don't know that that has anything to do with what age I am. I, you but, know, it's just really hard to travel to Asia. <laughs> and that's, that's the little secret of scientific thought, right? Is that if placebo is effective and we know that it is, then just go with it. <laughs> Right. And so it's very possible that the ZMA that I take without the sleep aid is as effective as the other, especially long term. I don't know. But what I do know is that I believe that the other one works and I sleep longer as a result. So that's the one I'm going to keep using. Frankly, I could take two Benadryl and it would probably, it does the same thing. Yeah, I think, you know, what's, what's in, and we'll, we'll close it out here in a second because, you know, we've done a few of these here, um, kind of back to back that's the way we try to do them um what i hope people are hearing as they're listening to us is this long-term idea of discovery as it relates to life right and you know in my life whenever i feel like i'm an authority on something is usually the time where i get really in trouble <laughs> it's it's the time where you know, I think whenever you, you become really smart about something, you realize how little you actually know. And so that's what really life needs to be about. And I know that, you know, I, I don't want to be the, the man talking to women here, you know, but, but clearly a lot of Ethan clients are struggling with menopause as a thought process and they feel paralyzed by it, right? And, and the tendency is to kind of take your cards and fold, right? And I think the, the overwhelming message and, and when people hear you talk and when, is that don't fold, right? Like keep going, you know? And, and it's just that act of mentally going in with that right approach that actually allows you to get to this next level, right? Um, anything that you want to say, last words? Yeah, just, you know, I try not to take myself too seriously. And I also know that even for me, there's not one right solution. And I'm changing stuff up all the time and trying new things. I don't do things that are extreme. I understand the science. I have a good sense of human physiology and I know it hasn't changed in the past 20 years. So something new that comes along has to have some good data behind it. But the idea of the, probably the most important thing throughout life is loving yourself and loving your body. And I think particularly for women at this time in our lives, to really love our bodies for everything they have done for us and gotten us this far. And now it's helping to support our bodies through whatever we want to do for the rest of our lives. And if we don't support them, they're going to break down. We were not engineered 
to live long, long lives. And, and so, so it's at this time and throughout your whole life, really, that's giving your body the most support that you can, not the least, is going to get you, you know, it's kind of like the tortoise and the hare. You know, we may be the tortoise, but we're going to cross the finish line um, in, in the best shape possible. Yeah, and I think a lot of people that would listen to what you just said, you know, might not hear that support means food and that support means rest and things of that nature. All right. Well, I appreciate you doing that. I mean, people are going to be so excited to have more podcasts to listen to. So I appreciate you being here and we'll talk to you later. Bye now. Thanks, Paul.